David, did you stay up last night watching the State of the Union? Oh, Todd, you know I did. I'm sure you did as well. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I didn't expect it to be as long as it was. You know, I, I kind of, there were some people have talked about how many words, and it was about 7,500 words. And, you know, that's comparing, you know, that goes back to Bill Clinton, who um, was the last president to be, you know, even close in terms of word count, just to give people a sense of, of what I'm talking about. I mean, Jimmy Carter, um, you know, his average was about 3,800 words, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan was around 4,600 words. So it is interesting how much longer the State of the Union has gotten. Why do you think that is? I, I think it's really become a, such an important political moment um, in the way in which the Congress works, in the way in which the White House works, in the way in which policy is made. Um, and, and I think in an era of divided government, it becomes even more so. And, and even before this past election, I mean, even though the Democrats had the House at the time, so it wasn't divided, it was by such a thin margin, and the same thing in the Senate, that it was effectively divided government. And I think that kind of situation has really kind of made this moment all the more important and all the more critical. And also, I, I think that this was very much a run-up to uh, Biden's uh, effort to be reelected in 2024. I think this was part of what this was all about. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, you implied something that I think is an important point, which is the role that the State of the Union plays. So so my understanding, and, and you understand the history better than I do, but my understanding is it used to be timed where you'd have the State of the Union and then the the president or the administration would release the president's budget. And it was a way to kind of frame that budget to the Congress and the Congress would start its process in terms of particularly on the appropriation side, you know, how they were going to appropriate money around the president's priorities or not. And and it was very much sort of structured in that way. That doesn't seem to be what happens anymore. It seems like, as you said, it's much more of a, a political message. So I'm just sort of curious as to your sense of that evolution in, in the in sort of the purpose of the State of the Union. Well, I'll, I'll tell a little bit of a story here. Uh, I'll do it very briefly, though, uh, for the listeners, because as they may have figured out, I'm, I'm you know, not a spring chicken anymore. And when I was a spring chicken, it was in the early years of the of the Reagan administration that I worked on Capitol Hill. Um, and it was I was often one of those people who were sent out the morning of State of the Union um, or even the afternoon before and stand in line to pick up your copy of the printed budget. You'd run back to the office and there was no shared document. There was no electronic version. There was just a big book. And we would just start to just pour through it all day long and just try to find every little detail that we could because every member of Congress was going to do something, even if they weren't doing the big response afterwards or whatever the case may be, everybody was going to be asked by local uh, you know, news outlets in their district or in their state to give comments and so forth. So we were always just running around for the last minute trying to find out what was in that budget. And that is very much not what we are dealing with in this situation and, and we're not even we don't even have a budget proposal yet um so it is a very different situation it it, it but it does take the take me back just thinking about those days because we would just i literally would just run they were waiting for you and you know if you'd had to wait a long time in the line i'd just run back to the office so that we could all go through it yeah you know it's funny one of the things i've been doing for years and i just realized it um 
as you described that, I remember, you know, the, the same sort of process of waiting in line, getting the printed version, and then trying to go through it as quickly as you could to figure out kind of big issues. And then even with the State of the Union, I mean, one of the things I've been doing for years is I, I get the transcript and I just do a, a series of word searches. So, you know, just to give you a couple highlights from my word searches, you know, there was no mention yesterday of, of the National Institutes of Health, um, which is unusual. There's usually some, you know, that's something that historically has been very bipartisan. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about how we think there's going to be um, that the the Republicans who are um, in control of the House will be doing a lot of sort of investigations around NIH and questions and things. Um, there was one mention of ARPA-H, which is obviously a real priority of the Biden administration. Um, there were two mentions of kidney, but it was within the context of kidney cancer and part of the 13 mentions of cancer. Uh, there were four mentions of diabetes. There was one mention of Alzheimer's and there was no mention of heart disease, cardiovascular disease. So um, other than sort of talking about cancer and talking about ARPA-H, a lot of the issues um, from a sort of research perspective and a sort of disease awareness perspective that we're interested in were not priorities in the, in, in the President's State of the Union. Um, kind of curious as to what you took away as to what you thought the big priorities were. Well, I mean, and I, I don't, I, I agree with what you said about the, there was, you know, kind of, it didn't, it didn't highlight some of our issues as, as being very high level. However, um, I don't necessarily take that in any particular regard. Um, this was a very different exercise uh, than, than what we might have seen in the past. And so they really did, uh, they were, really were delivering as much a political message and kind of what they will, will like play out over the next year or so preparing for run for re-election. So there are some things up here that they definitely talked about that they really think about. Drug pricing is going to be one. And the insulin debate over uh, the price of insulin is going to be one that we're going to hear so much about. Medicaid expansion is, is definitely up there. Um, politically, uh, he made it very clear that Medicare and Social Security were going to be used in the strongest of possible terms uh, if, if there was an indication, particularly with, um, with the House Republicans, about raising the debt ceiling had to be tied to various uh, cuts in the budget. And he made it very clear that that would be a painful situation for, for um, his opponents because he would, he would really tie that around their neck. Um, abortion, uh, that's, that's going to be continuing to talk. The crackdown of fentanyl, I think, is really important. And the other three things on health, as you say, cancer and the cancer moonshot is, is very much a part of this. And, and you know, I give, I give you know, credence to the president that he's that he has lost a son to cancer and that it's really heavily on his mind. Um, mental health has really been a very serious issue uh, that's emerged even more seriously in light of the pandemic um, than, you know, it had been in, in the forefront. And the veterans' health is going to be similar. Veterans' affairs is going to be very similar to Medicare. It's like, do right by the veterans, do right by Medicare, or I'll weaponize it, basically, is kind of what he was saying. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, um, I I should have mentioned that there were, I think, seven or eight mentions of veterans in, in the speech and, and combined Medicare and Social Security were, were 20. And so to your point, you know, as you think about all the issues that we work on beyond the research agenda, as we think about the Medicare program, we think about the Medicaid program, we think about sort of this mix of, of discretionary entitlement programs, 
a lot of the things that that are priorities of the kidney community were featured in in, in, the, in the in the State of the Union. Um, just quickly on the proposal, this was a couple of weeks ago that the Biden administration put out a pretty detailed proposal for additional details around the cancer moonshot. And one of the things they are doing is they're establishing cancer X and, and, and they referenced kidney X. So it's interesting because it was something the kidney community has done that now um, the Biden administration is modeling in terms of a potential innovation for, for cancer uh, disease and, and treatment and research and education. So just kind of fascinating how that played out. Yeah, and they and they also used the success of PEPFAR, which is uh, the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief that I, I worked on myself um, years and years ago uh, that really did change the way we were approaching dealing with AIDS and really did kind of have a major impact on that. And that was one of the things that they want to just kind of see as, you know, they want to paint the cancer moonshot in that kind of way. It's like, let's make this something that's so bipartisan and so really kind of combined uh, and visionary that it will change forever how we look at cancer. And the and PEPFAR did do that with HIV AIDS. Um, so it, and, and we, we definitely think of that as a real high point in healthcare planning. So David, from your perspective, what were the, the highlights or the major themes in the, in the State of the Union? It was designed to remind the audience of the accomplishments of the last two years. And that was, we got past, you know, he said that, you know, COVID, we're no longer in the grips of COVID. He didn't say that COVID was just gone and over, but he said, we're no longer in the grips of it. Just not control our destiny. Um, so basically what he's saying is we, are, we, have, we have managed to get through that. We have managed to bring the situation into some level of control. We are beginning to rebuild our economy as it was hit from there. And, you know, we're doing that in such a way that we are defending democracy um, in such a way that it's really critical and it needs to be continued. So that's laying the groundwork uh, for, for the 2024 run. Um, he really did basically put down his point on spending, that there were no negotiations of the debt ceiling and no talks in Social Security and Medicare. And I think that was the one he wanted. And I, I think he was kind of basically saying, you know, this is a political one that you, you don't really want to have this battle with me because I will be able to make this very uncomfortable for you. And that is a political calculus, and that was included. Um, they detailed some of the most popular things on, on the agenda. So there were th these, these were the things that really were much more popular. So kidney related to cancer, but not kidney just standing alone. And that's an ongoing effort of ours. The fourth one I won't really get into. Able to say that um, most of the political pundits are saying that he also had the objective of exposing certain members of the, the Republican Party in the House as uh, unreasonable and kind of chaotic. And then there's a lot of uh, people this morning basically saying he did that by kind of baiting some of them, and they took the bait. And there was writing this morning about some of the behavior on the floor, um, some things that were kind of rude. Um, John Harris writes, through extraordinary rudeness, with boos, taunts, groans, and sarcastic chortles, the opposition party effectively turned themselves into primetime props for President Joseph Biden. Um, those are not my words. Um, those are the words of a very high-level political reporter at Politico.com. And I think that's, that's what he did. These, 
This speech, we know, was very much uh, influenced by people who had worked with Clinton and with Obama, which goes to your very opening point about how, how Clinton-esque the speech was. Um, and so that's really, uh, I think, really what they were after. And I think that's really what they got. Um, so I, I, I kind of would say to you that there was, that was really what I was expecting. David, you've, you've done a really nice job of summarizing both the political from a campaign perspective tone of the speech, the specific kind of substance of the speech, particularly, I think, around spending priorities and sort of thinking about this, this you know, despite what we said earlier about the, the, the less of the connection to the president's budget than in the past, there is a connection to the president's budget because it is coming you know, soon. And then the political in terms of how he's trying to set up the compare and contrast with particularly the House of Representatives and, and some of the, the members there. Before we go, the other point to make is that the Republican response was delivered by Governor Sanders. And I thought she made a really interesting point about being the youngest governor at 40 that the president is the oldest president at 80. Um, there's a really interesting kind of contrast there that I thought she made and sort of set up. And it's going to be interesting as we go into the campaign for 2024 to see how that plays out. What was your reaction to her um, sort of rebuttal to the, the State of the Union? It was a very, very, very smart move to have her do the rebuttal. That message that you just, you know, that you're talking about was just basically, it was going to be front and center by just the fact that she was there, that you were looking at her and you were looking at a person um, in a very different uh, age of their life than what you had just spent the last hour watching. Um, and the White House knows that they are very vulnerable uh, on Biden's reelection on the issue of age. Um, and the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that if, if Biden were to be reelected, he would finish the term at 86. And that's, you know, like, like one, one reporter said this morning, that's closer to 90 than it is to 80. Um, and that is going to give people pause. And so if you end up without Donald Trump being the Republican nominee and you have somebody else who um, may not carry as much baggage as Trump, then that, that age question, I think, becomes even more significant. So I, I think I think it was a very smart part to deliver that message, and I think that she was the right person to do it. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because I don't think I had appreciated until yesterday that it's almost less about what the opposition party says in its response than it is the visuals around the person and how they frame the individual who's 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 delivering it. And, and that, you know, that's not that. It doesn't really matter which parties are involved. I just, I, I think you, the way you describe that is, is correct. Um, so just be before we close, where do we go from here? So what, um, what now? I mean, you know, we spend today and maybe tomorrow kind of, you know, go, you know, pouring over the, the context and the, the content and, and then, then what? Well, this is Washington. So um, there's a lot of work to be done. And there's never a shortage of moments of high drama and politics. Um, so you you got to combine all of those. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, and we're, we're looking for those people who 
are listening to us today, um, we know that we've got a lot of work to do as the public health emergency unwinds uh, for all of the, the patients that our members take care of. Uh, we know there's a lot of concern about certain things in Medicare being stable and predictable. Um, we know that we've got really very, very strong growth in Medicare Advantage um, and that it is posing some particular uh, situations that we are, we are watching and kind of looking at. Um, we need, know that we need to have more minority coverage in, you know, kidney uh, research and in, and in those programs. Um, we just know a lot. We do know that we need to really boost uh, innovation and uh, in the Congress in support of it and also in, um, in the way in which the government has been made reimbursing and paying for innovation. And while we've made some progress, there's still a lot there to do. So uh, for those of us in policy at ASN, there's a lot of work uh, coming down the pike that we really need to do. Um, and right now we are also just really working on trying to get the United States Preventive Services Task Force to endorse uh, kidney screening at an earlier stage um, in, in primary care. And so there's a lot there, there's a lot at stake, and they, they can mean a lot of things good for members and for the patients they take care of. Well, David, thank you. And I'll let you get back to um, that to-do list um, with you and your colleagues and, and with all the members who are involved, both on the Policy and Advocacy Committee um, and the Quality Committee with another sort of panels within ASN. So thank you. Thank you very much. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology. All rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare professional if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.